Hello and welcome to our final podcast of the year. And what a year it has been. I'm Robert Hillier and my co-host is Fayaz Khan. Thank you so much for joining in again. We've had some fantastic guests this year and we thought we'd take our best conversations, which really is all of them, so it was hard to choose. But we're going to do our best to get as many conversations as possible and highlight all of our best bits. Yeah, we've had guests from all over the southwest, from Bournemouth to Penzance, doing fantastic things. So it's lovely that we get to give them a second showcase. So on to our first guest, Pippa Clark from Bishop Fleming, who told us how she's seen businesses change during the pandemic. Initially, there was an understanding or a belief, rather, that this was something that would return to normal. Mm. So there was a pulling down of the hatches to a degree for some. For others, there was the spotting of an immediate alternative opportunity that they thought might be short-lived. Mm. The position now, I mean, we did a survey, Bishop Fleming Technology Innovation and Growth Survey, right at the start of this. And that showed how even tech businesses, which you might think would be used to operating in a more virtual way, and perhaps because of the nature of the sector that they're in, finding it easier to navigate this. For a lot of them, there was a decrease in confidence, but actually the level of decrease was less than you would have seen in other sectors. So the, the I suppose the confidence came from having the technology, just not using it. The confidence came from being able to sell something that didn't rely on a customer coming into a physical place. Tech sector is more resilient than others around that. What I would say, this is a particular extreme example of disruption, isn't it, to the Mm. norm. Disruption and crisis always breed innovation. There will be some real positives to take out of this. And I don't think that we will see a return to exactly how things were previously. A Tech Southwest podcast. So next we hear from Paul Coles, who's the regional director of BT, and he's on the Tech Southwest steering group. You know, with my BT day job hat on, I look after England, but I also carry a special responsibility for the Southwest. And I'm hugely passionate about the fact that A, it's a brilliant place to live, but B, we've got amazing companies in here that often don't get the light shone on them. So I think the Tech Southwest awards is that opportunity to shine a light on some of the brilliant innovative tech companies we've got in the southwest because we've got loads of them why do you think there's still that that sense that we might be underselling ourselves in the southwest a bit do you find that you have to when you're touring around the country advocate a bit more for the southwest than other people have to well i think if i say southwest to people when i'm in london they'll say that's the place where i go on holiday so their perception is that's where I go on holiday, that's where tourism happens, that's where fishing, farming, agri stuff happens. And they're right, there is a lot of that. They're key industries for us. But actually, there's an awful lot of brilliant tech companies and there's opportunities for other regions to look at the Southwest and say, actually, we perhaps we need to re- invest in the Southwest there because of all the talent and the ecosystem that's here. Over the space of three or four years, we've gone from a couple of tech clusters in the southwest to actually more like seven eight nine and what's great is they're now all pulled together working together under this tech southwest banner how important do you think it is to have a body like tech southwest where people can can see the scale and get into some of the collaboration that's uh, that's so key down here i think it's hugely important a to share amongst ourselves what's going on because i think that's really crucially important But then also we can start identifying the common themes and the common asks that we've got of government and others to help this this sector thrive even more. You know, so 
if I look at any survey around tech companies, their number one issue, pre-COVID, their number one issue is always skills. So that should enable us to go back into government and the education system and say, look, we need help. We need the right talent pool to drive the tech sector even harder. So I think there's the first piece is around getting everyone collaborating. That's really good. The second one is then what are the key messages we need to take as a Tech Southwest advisory board into the likes of government, the education sector specifically, to get what we need to, to thrive even more. Do you think that this crisis some good will come out of it in the sense that more people will be digital and more people will be interested in things like coding and more people will be interested in increasing their tech skills and that could actually solve the problem for the tech industry. Yeah, I, I, I am an optimist about what this hugely difficult and challenging period has meant for us and I don't underestimate the challenges that at a personal level, a family level, and at the whole country, frankly. But I also am very much optimistic around what this has meant. Look, we've had parents having to go through the challenge of homeschooling, and with our own Barefoot Computing Programme offering teaching resources around coding, you know, we've had parents doing coding with their children, including one lesson plan, which is about how you code a cake. So it's got parents interested in the world of coding, which of course is going to be critical. Okay, so let's hear from the heart of the Southwest LEP then next. Yep, we spoke to Charlotte Collier, who's the Digital Skills Partnership Manager, who told us about her job. The Heart of Southwest Digital Skills Partnership is one of six national pilots that are supported by the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. Um, we're set up to coordinate digital skills activity across our LEP region. So our LEP region being Devon, Somerset, Plymouth and Torbay. And the idea is that although there's lots of activity happening, often there can be lots of duplication or there a need to kind of surface and, and, and turn spotlight on a digital skills programme in order to match up need with an actual resource. And so that's kind of the role of a digital skills partnership. We're here to drive ambition in digital skills for everybody so whether you are a young person whether you're employed whether you're a member of the community and regardless of kind of what level of current level of digital skills you've got so right through from um, those people who are kind of starting out and are building up the digital confidence right through to people who have an, have an advanced uh, digital skill set and so Charlotte have, have you found that during the lockdown now that you've got more people coming to you and asking how they can enhance their digital skills and their presence or are people waiting to see what might happen and what they might need to get back on track? Yeah there was an immediate response from everybody really from those people within business from within the community and within schools to kind of desperately upskill themselves with the the tools and the ways of working to enable them to either move to remote working or remote teaching environment. But during COVID-19, we've been sending out a weekly newsletter with a roundup of all the latest digital tools, tips and tricks, sharing kind of success stories, um, everything, you know, right through from we shared a story about uh, La La Choirs who run in three communities during the week. Um, and it's, it's a business and this lady has moved to choirs online um, and she's had to kind of onboard about 100 people with how to use Zoom. And she really kind of impressed about her approach. She did this by breaking them down into small groups and, and training them in, in small groups so that everybody felt that they'd kind of had an exposure and were comfortable kind of navigating their way around the settings. 
um, and and now the choir is up and running and and taking place three times a week just as it always was um, before before COVID nineteen broke out. That that sense of community and, and people working together to keep things going as as much as they can that feeds in quite well into Tech Southwest, doesn't it? Which is another another example of building up that community to give more individuals more access and an empowerment to work together. Yeah, so last year at Heart Southwest LEP, but also Core Model Arts Silly um, LEP's Digital Skills Partnership, we came together to jointly sponsor the Best in Education Tech Southwest Awards. Um, and we're delighted that we're going to continue and, and support the same award this year in, in 2020. Um, I think it's because, so our roles as digital skills advocates and connectors enable us to see firsthand the transformative impact of best-in-class digital skills initiatives and you know whether they're working with young people whether they're working with employees or, or members of the community and by celebrating and shining a light on these projects it helps everyone to learn from what good looks like it also keeps the bar high mm. uh, and it encourages training providers to develop excellent engagements and, and to kind of not stand still and, and keep pushing forward so yeah really delighted that, that the awards are happening again this year they were great success last year that the energy in the room was was electric it would be quite poignant coming together this year there will be lots of stories to share uh, and learnings from you know we're seeing collaboration between companies that normally would never work together because they might be competitors or you know they want to keep what they're working on under wraps and what we've seen some great examples of, of all those kind of normal reservations if you like being put to one side a tech a southwest, southwest podcast, podcast. On to our next guest, Chris Sum, who are just finishing organising the Tech Exeter Conference. Traditionally, it was this sort of go down the pub on a Friday evening and chat with a load of people. Um, it was called Exeter Web, so it was mainly for us about um, with around a group of people who were doing web development stuff um, based out of the generator co-working space. But as, as those meetups grew in popularity uh, and as more people wanted to do not just web stuff, but general tech and digital stuff, we decided uh, basically to rebrand it after a while uh, and to give it like this fixed schedule of running events every month on the same day every month, having guest speakers, so we have a fixed format, um, and also trying to do extra events, socials, and just getting out there into the wider community to announce that this, this group, this community of people does exist and you don't need to go to Bristol, Bath, London, etc., to to find like-minded techie people. What kind of um, identity do you think Exeter is is hoping or, or trying to build for itself? And you know, in the, in the same way as you know, Bristol's really you know is, is now being thought of as a proper kind of innovation and and, and tech hub. What do you think Exeter? Uh, can try and do to to give itself a little bit of a of a platform here. Yeah, so it, it is a question I really struggle with. There's no one thing that Exeter is really known for, but recently with the Met Office and the Big Data Impact Lab and the university's sort of data science focus, I think that's what we're going to see more of a focus on data science, environmental sciences, um, and being placed where we are in the region. It's quite a rural city more rural tech, so agri-tech, farm tech, uh, biotech. Do you think it's important to have a, to have a specialism or to, be, or to be seen as if you're a cluster of, uh, of, of like-minded people with the same kind of ambitions? Does it, does it matter, you think, when you're, when you're talking to people externally that Exeter or, or anywhere is, 
is no is known for a certain thing. It is important, but it's not the most important thing. I think a lot of people move to the southwest because they want to start their own companies. They want to. Uh, be an SME, which means they're a lot more agile. They can do a lot more variety of things. The, the, the variety of tech companies that we have in the region is, is pretty high. So um, it is important to have some sort of specialism to be known for something, but um, it's not the most important thing. Let's move on now to Caitlin Gould, who saw there was not enough provision for girls, who wanted to find out more about careers in tech, and so she did something about it. A frustration that I've been feeling myself and also heard across the sector for a few years. Um, so uh, I'm working at Bluefruit as a director there. Um, we regularly kind of have a challenge around trying to make sure we've got improved diversity, but I also talk to other friends in different sectors so engineering and in the creative sector and gaming and there's just a genuine frustration from men and women in the sector of why there's not enough women and we looked into it and traced all the way back there wasn't enough women then we looked back there wasn't enough applicants that were women so even when you were doing non-biased stuff um, it was hard to find women to apply for certain jobs and we started tracing it back and there was a kind of a critical point in a software Cornwall conversation where we saw the A-level results come out, um, I think for last year when those were still happening. And, um, and there just weren't any girls taking these courses. And so I think that's when it kind of clicked for us that the problem was a lot further back um, than just in the career. So I got a group of people together and we just started with the initial problem to solve which is how do we get more girls to think about technology or engineering related A-levels and GCSEs um, and then as a team we were looking at what already exists where there's already support and we again we just kept going further back and we decided after looking at a lot of research that the problem is really starts at a very young age and girls starting to rule themselves out of things. Why, is so, why do they why do they rule themselves out and why aren't they taking these A-levels, which um, they're usually quite good at? Yeah, so that's a really, it's a complicated question, to be honest. We're still exploring the problem. Uh, it was really easy for us to jump to conclusions of, um, you know, not enough influence, not feeling invited, um, potential bias. Um, what we've been working really hard as as a group is to try to actually do research and find out from the girls themselves what the problem is mm. um so one initial theory was that they didn't feel or maybe they didn't want to do these things or it was a problem with parents um not wanting to encourage their daughters to do it but actually um and and that theory came from the fact that there aren't very many girls who go to the free software Cornwall tech jams mm. um, you know they've got a ratio of less than 20 percent of girls I, I volunteer there and sometimes there's no girls um, and so uh, we thought maybe that's the problem they don't go to these events but when we set up so the the first idea we decided to do was to have an event just for girls marketed at girls make it very clear that it's a girl thing that was literally our <laughs> our catchphrase <laughs> and see if that was a problem and we were overwhelmed we had over a hundred girls and all signed up by their parents um, sign up within a week. So even just from that experiment, we realized that, okay, maybe it's not a lack of appetite. Maybe it's um, 
the angle it takes. You know, we, we took a different angle with the Tech Girls event. We made sure to talk about it being more creative, more about making things, mm -hmm. um, a little bit less pressure, and that it was a chance to kind of play and experiment. Um, so that's some of the stuff we're trying to explore is if we um, put less pressure on it and we open it up and we make it fun, are more girls interested? And we're seeing some really positive feedback that way. Caitlin, because um, <clears throat> this year chemistry, maths and biology were the three most popular A-level choices. So it's not as if there's a disconnect between uh, young women doing science and mathematical um, courses. So why therefore do you think it just doesn't translate into seeing themselves as, as having a place within, within the tech industry? So I'm really glad you brought those subjects up. Um, there's a reason we went, so tech girl stands for tech, uh, technology, engineering and the creative sector. We intentionally left science out um, because all the work around STEM has been brilliant for sciences, mm. but it hasn't seen the same impact on technology, kids studying ICT or engineering. So we kind of thought, the science part was, is already being covered, but there's not enough girls um, still exploring engineering, um, especially that's the worst. Um, and so you, you mentioned about mathematics, there's this disconnect between girls being excellent at the, the things that could make them great engineers, but still not seeing engineering as a career opportunity for them. Uh, or not, I think, you know, what we're kind of starting to learn from talking to girls is that they don't realize how broad these sectors are. Mm. Um, you know, they hear engineer and they think um, that usually, you know, something related with building. Mm. Uh, they don't understand there could be, you know, biomedical engineering or, uh, you know, a lot of things that actually is a good scientific background or maths background could help them into. So in some senses, it's just a lack of awareness of how diverse the job market is. Our final guest for this episode is from January. So one of our first interviews of the year. Rob Bosworth is Vice President of Curriculum, Partnership and Engagement and Deputy CEO of Exeter College. We talked to Rob about apprenticeships and T-levels at the start of the year, and now, more than ever, they seem like the way forward. I think the um, probably the most fundamental thing for me is, um, I think education um, was quite isolated um, and quite siloed. Um, I think the thing that I've observed the most is how the community, um, it's a bit cliche, but at heart, we're a community college. It doesn't matter kind of what size you are or what you look like. You're a community college, so you should serve the community. And I think what I've seen over the last 20 years is the growth of Exeter as a city, um, the raising the profile of the southwest, and we continue to do that. But um, the college really looking outwards and, and reaching out into the community and trying to reflect more what the community needs, um, because um, the traditional kind of route of doing um, GCSEs at a school, then an A-Law, then going to university, the market's much more diverse now. Um, and that's fantastic for young people, very confusing for parents and we have to work really hard on that but actually it's a great opportunity with more curriculum on offer and different types of curriculum for employees to come in and say we'd like to work with you on that and sort of break it and disrupt it um, and I think that's a good word for actually disruption because I know there's a lot of that in the, t in the, in the tech sort of companies and in the tech landscape. I think education is being disrupted at the minute with some brilliant um, qualification opportunities 
but they're only as good as kind of what the community needs. Mm. So a really good example is um, the fastest growing qualification we've got at the minute is our high level apprenticeship level four data analytics. So we started it about 18 months ago. We started with uh, six companies in Exeter and we've now got um, 64 apprentices in that. Um, all adults, um, various ranges, not all 18. We've got everything from 18, 24 year olds, 45 year old um, and, and people that one was a plumber now wants to do data analytics. Um, wow. Because the, the we all know kind of the, the, the statistics and the data that shows that young people are going to have four or five careers in different mm. sectors. So where it'd be that have one kind of career path and four or five promotions maybe. Now already we're seeing people kind of moving at all different ages. That portfolio be, working yeah. as it's called, isn't it? Yeah, which That's is right, a prediction, yeah. 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 So, so, th- so those people who are coming here to do that, have you marketed that at them or have they themselves become aware of the challenges and the changes to the workforce and have they sought you out how how has how has it come to be that that's growth has happened i think the, the the key driver for it all and we mentioned earlier about the southwest institute of technology and it's a key driver of that as well as employment and again this is kind of obviously read the tech southwest kind of um study on skills and kind of the feedback from the employers um for me employers are the, are the heart of everything here um so yes if you want to go to university and kind of do a degree and go down a more traditional route that option is still there really popular but the boom in apprenticeships and um, particularly um, use of the levy and large employers for me has really unlocked opportunities for employers to get more involved in the curriculum design so i think they've wanted to do that and there's been a will to do that and we often get feedback from the the the, um, the private sector and kind of the employment kind of landscape saying we'd like to the, the qualification to be different. I think pre-18, that's quite challenging because mm. it's quite a fixed model. Post-18, with the new high-level apprenticeships, degree apprenticeships, there's a real opportunity for co-design, and that's the critical element to it. So in the Southwest Institute of Technology, we've got Oxygen House, which is, is a, biz, a big sort of data company. Obviously, we've got the Met Office, which is a huge data mm. company. Um, we've also got um, uh, TDK Lambda um, in Barnstable. Yeah, um, we've, they, we've spoken to them because they won an award at the an award at the Tech South they did, West Awards, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is great, and uh, they partner in um, in partnership with Petrop, um, and we've got Babcock in Plymouth, but obviously Bab- Babcock's a large and they've got a massive um, sort of um, high level manufacturing need. So, the the key drivers of, of your curriculum, if it's successful, should be the employer, and um, because, like I said, it's totally cliche, but at heart we're a community college. You know, we're we're a large community college with a lot of learners and a lot of um, a lot of people in it but actually if we're not serving the community then we're not doing justice and it. it's not following the purpose really. So it's apprenticeships that are actually helping you stay relevant because quite a well a report by Tech Southwest a couple of years ago found that because courses take such a long time to design by the time they're out they're not relevant anymore and things have moved on but I suppose with apprenticeships that's, that's it yeah. and completely. the game changer for me I think you spot on in the, and so th- there's a great opportunity with T levels so T levels obviously we're at Exeter College is um, launching in September we're recruiting now so we've got some interest in the three pathways that we're doing they've been employer driven from a more national central base so the large employers have worked with kind of the designers for the specs but it's more centralised um, in, in terms of the cascade when that comes out that's going to be a little bit more tricky to change but it's going to have a work um, experience component to it the game changer for me is the real focus on technical so T levels are brilliant in terms of a parity so in the past what we've had is 
we've got um, thousands of students doing A-levels and parents still feel like their son or daughter will be successful mm. if they do GCSE mm. A-levels. Mm. What we start to see with the technical agenda being raised and the Institute of Technology is a really good example of that, but through T-levels is a real parity of a level three um, equivalent. Um, so the game changer for me is a focus on technical, but out of that, um, we're so excited mm. at Exeter College about the high level apprenticeship because um, it, we've got a range of companies now, for example, doing the data analytics I talked about, from small to medium enterprises um, to kind of large conglomerates. And the reason why is because this isn't about kind of STEM anymore. Um, this isn't about kind of branding something. Technology is everywhere and it's in everything. So the days of you saying, we've got a STEM fair, go over to the corner if you mm. want to be in a STEM subject. It's in every subject. Mm. It's in every yeah. subject. If somebody says, I, I, I want to work in tech, yeah. it ceases to be ceases to mean anything, doesn't it? That's in right. Because it's not an industry. And the tech really. companies kind of sort of frown it and sort yeah. of look in the skies to say, that was kind of 10 years ago. Yeah. Everything's tech now. It's really, it really is as simple as that. So so digital skills are just going to be fundamental to everything. We're, we're just um, embarking on a, a digital transformation strategy, which I think everyone's going through in the, in the world. Um, but we've got an ambition that all our, um, all our uh, community within the college, so all our students, our staff, our stakeholders, will all be digital citizens by 2025. Um, now, to be honest with you, we're going to do, do everything we can to enable that to happen, but we're doing a values-based sort of driven approach because fundamentally by 2025, everything will be digital anyway. Mm -hmm. so, um, so the the operational kind of um, delivery of, um, of qualifications will change. Obviously, there'll be more blended learning, I think. Um, but fundamentally, the employers at the minute are doing a great job in talk, talking to us and saying this needs to be different. That's really helped us with a high level of apprenticeship because, like you say, this is less about kind of being at college four days a week and having one day work experience. Four days in work and one day at the college really works well because they get the kind of theoretical knowledge and, mm. and they're in the work workforce kind of doing this live. Mm. And, um, so the yeah the um, the apprenticeship higher level game changer. Whereas you used to go out and talk to employees and say take on an apprentice and you can help us work and shape it. They used to go, well, a 16-year-old might not be ready, a 17-year-old might be ready. Well, actually, we're talking about 25-year-olds and 30-year-old people actually changing the sectors and saying, I loved maths when I was at school, but I didn't know what to do, so I became a plumber. Mm. So actually, now these amazing opportunities are arising. I actually want to move sectors. So you're saying well, it's mostly older people who tend to come here for apprenticeships, and the, what, what do the younger people do? Because I wonder no, how... They do apprenticeships Because well, yeah. I just wonder how... Well, how you convince parents that that's the right way forward because I, I know that I sometimes when I used to teach as well and I'd find that parents found it really difficult to accept that apprenticeship was a successful and probably better route to go because you weren't going to get into debt in the same way you would if you went into university but how how do you market that to them because I, I was thinking the same thing as well about about the kind of stigma mm. there's obviously the employers don't care it doesn't seem that the vast majority of young people don't care. Yeah. But do you think that that, that focus on, on the social capital of going to a Russell Group yeah. university still means an awful lot to people? Or is that is that beginning to change uh, slowly but surely? Uh, I mean, uh, do you think it will, it will ever go? I, d I don't think it'll ever go, and I, and I don't want it to, to be honest with you. I think, um, like I said, the... The disruption in the market of education, if you, if you like, um, is, is a great thing because it's going to offer a difference. And I think um, in terms of that, there was um, a report, the barometer report for the Social Mobility Commission came out yesterday. And really, it was great to see that 
people now think one of the biggest um, enablers of social mobility is actually apprenticeships and it was great but that's not to say kind of that um, higher education isn't having a massive impact as well um, but the key thing is in terms of parity and education and making an educated um, uh, decision on what you study that's what we need to work out because you're right the information advice and guidance in schools isn't there at the minute and they're not seeing apprenticeships as an opportunity we've got to try and get some parity I'm really excited about T levels to do that um, the question that you um, were saying about um, you know um, marketing to parents the marketing to parents it, it's just amazing because the, the word kind of vocational is, is trying to be moved out and replacing it with technical I think that's a really good thing mm. I'm not kind of shy about that I make it because in terms of parity when you say vocational people think they couldn't get onto an academic route so they took a vocational right. route for years we've been trying to bring parity mm. to it because a lot of our vocational students go into amazing things a lot of them go into university but a lot of them go into employment and become really successful so a few years ago we had um, a young lady who um, was offered a place at Oxford, um, Oxford University and she turned it down to take an apprenticeship up in, in the uh, finance department in the city and now she's doing great and thriving so so we're getting little anecdotes of successes. Well we've come to the end sadly maybe it's time to talk about any New Year's resolutions I don't have any. No me either I mean it's too scary to have resolutions nowadays. I think every day should be uh, a New Year's resolution uh, and also after 2020 there's no point making predictions or expecting anything to be normal ever again well that's quite bleak but i think we should certainly strive to just be happy and you know take things as they come that's how we get through things and make things better like the companies we've been speaking to have all been pivoting and it's been very positive despite the the hardships we've suffered this year I don't know if I'm making it to, like, the hardships no. we've suffered. The script says wise words, as always, so we'll stick with that. <laughs> uh, just want to say a heartfelt thank you to our audience. Thank you so much for listening and keeping it going. And we hope you have a brilliant new year. And thank you to everyone who supported the podcast over the last year. Dan at Astley Media, all the Tech Southwest team, Joe, Leah, Al, and all of our guests. You have really, really made this a fantastic project to work on. Thank you. Yes, thank you. This is the Tribe Tech Podcast.